You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I talk with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson about the upcoming NFL draft. Logan was one of the smartest players I've interviewed over the years. He studies the draft and always has going back to the beginning of his playing days, so I always appreciate his insight. I will get back to a lot of quarterback talk in the future episodes, but today we talk a lot about other areas of need. Offensive tackle, especially the left side, tight end, linebacker all areas of need for Washington. So that's what I wanted to focus on today. And Logan does a good job breaking down multiple players at those spots based on his film work and talking to other people. He does the work, folks. You can follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. He also does some appearances on 1067 The Fan. I'm on Instagram as well, John Kime ESPN. And of course, you can read my work on ESPN.com. Don't forget, I'm putting out a bonus podcast once a week leading up to the draft featuring past players talking about their draft experience. Last week, it was John Jansen and Chris Thompson. This coming Wednesday, be talking with Brian Mitchell. They're quick listens, so give it a go. Before I play my conversation with Logan, a couple things. My comments on Brandon Sheriff from the last podcast got a little bit of attention from some of you the other day about what he turned down. I want to stress, I don't know all the parameters of the deal to know exactly what he has turned down. But what I said before was that they offered him top of the guard money, but I don't know the exact amount. And I don't, it shouldn't be surprising to people that he turned down deals. There's a reason they had to use a franchise tag on him. That means he's turned down deals. They couldn't get it, whether it's good or bad, he's turned them down. It could be on them, it could be on him. that's That's a difficult part to assess. The past regime tried to sign him as well to no avail. And just saying, again, that it was top of the guard money doesn't always paint the full picture. This is what I know of Sheriff. The dude has made way more money than he ever imagined. And what he likes to do is drive his truck, hunt, and drink bush light. And here's what he knows. By playing on the tag, he will have made $33 million in two years. This, this is assuming a deal doesn't eventually get done. So he would play on the tag for two years, $33 million. Then he can hit free agency and pick where he wants to go, whether it's staying here or leaving, and cash in even more. So let's say Washington offered him $15 million per year. Sheriff knows he can get that money next year coming off an $18 million season. So what's the rush? It might be more. And if not, he's already made a ton more than he ever anticipated. If he has another injury, the guy is set for a few lifetimes. So it's I think, you know, that's where money has kind of changed the game. It gives players a lot more freedom to do things sometimes. Um, and to take a chance on that and, and not have to worry about the long term, because he already has long term security just from just from these deals. It's what it's also why the tag game becomes a difficult one. And a second tag makes it darn near impossible to get a guy signed unless you're willing to jump way up in price. Still time for this. But again, that's what the situation is right now. 
The signing of DeAndre Carter certainly spells further trouble for Steven Sims. Here's one issue, though, and they signed him the other day. He can return punts. He can return kicks. But the issue, Carter fumbled seven times on punt returns in his career and once on a kickoff. So I, it's hard to just go and say, well, he's got the job right now. Don't know the parameters of his deal at this point. I know the concern with Sims was with his hands. And a lot of that, when I heard with that, though, is more on from scrimmage, more so than um, in the return game. It was definitely from scrimmage where there were a couple key drops that he had last year that could have been big plays for a guy like Dwayne Haskins, and they know it. And, you, you know, they want some more consistency there. I'll be curious to see if Carter can develop into a solid backup slot guy. I know people close to him believe he can and that he has received good feedback about his ability there at prior stops. What I do know, this is his eighth franchise. We'll see what he offers once he can, once we can actually see guys in camp and they'll obviously get a feel for them as well. And their kind of their opinion is a little bit more important than ours. I was a big Steven Sims fan entering camp last year because I watched him dust guys in the last half of his rookie season. And I know the work he put in in the offseason to make himself more explosive out of some of those routes. He got some injuries and that set him back. Then he had some drops that set him back. I don't see any reason why he can't get back to, back to doing that again, but will that be here? I don't know. I do know the hands were an issue when he arrived and it kind of gave him some pause, especially a punt returner, gave him some pause when he was a rookie and hesitation to put him out there until they finally did. And he didn't have any issues that year, but the hands were again an issue last season. Finally, I was able to watch some Adam Humphreys um, highlight or not highlights, but some of his games over the weekend just to see what Washington is getting. And I, you know, I've seen him in the past, but you're not really studying a guy. A few things stood out. Rivera talked about him working the middle with the tight ends uh, and being able to break off them and play off them. And I saw that occur. I'd see him run routes and basically in tandem with the tight end, break off wide open over the middle as a tight end, drive somebody down the seam. I can see that happening with a guy like Logan Thomas. And the tight end, you know, they're going to honor the tight end going down there and he can break a snap it off over the middle. Now, you can't do it all the time, but you did see that. And the thing I did see is that he does work well with others when running his routes and plays off them to find the area, open area, especially in zone coverage. When he was facing press man, it's another story. And he didn't always separate. I did see him one time where the quarterback it was Jameis Winston, could have had him on a slant versus press but it was a tight window and the quarterback had a hand in his face or Winston and couldn't make the throw by the time Winston recovered. And he did go to Humphreys. The window had been slammed shut. He's not a dynamic player, but that's not what they need from him. They need a consistent slot guy who can work the middle of the field and knows where the sticks are in third down. That's the other thing I saw. He knows where those first down markers are. And I saw that consistently. So, you know, that's what he is. And as long as he stays healthy, he's going to help. Anyway, that's it from me. After this break, I'll be back with Logan Paulson. What tight ends does he like in this draft? And does he think Christian Dersaw is a legitimate tight, excuse me, is, does he think Christian Dersaw is a legitimate left tackle option? What's up? It's Mike Jones from the Football Jones Podcast. I know you're enjoying your time with the John Kime Report, but once you're done, I want to invite you to come over and check out my podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics around the NFL. High-profile guests from the coach, player, and front office ranks, as well as the top league insiders. Check out the Football Jones Podcast, another fine product brought to you by Empire Media. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Logan Paulson. And Logan, before we start getting into the breakdowns and, and your scouting report on a lot of these guys, 
you need to tell people where they can find you because your Instagram stuff is filled with some breakdowns, whether from games throughout the season or a couple guys who are prospects. Yeah, so uh, Logan underscore Paulson82 is where I do my Instagram stuff. And uh, yeah, just kind of anything that I find interesting from the season or from this offseason kind of film evaluation, I put up there usually. So, And it's good stuff, folks. Because, And like I said, I mean, you, you know, and I've told you this and I've told other people this, that you are one of the smartest players that I've covered and their ability to analyze and break stuff down. I know your, your agent, Steve Carrick, thinks you're the most, the best guy at breaking stuff down. And I think you have a talent for that. So that's why I always like talking to you. Um, so let's jump into it. And, you know, obviously Washington has some positions that they want to fill in the draft. And we'll start with left tackle because they haven't filled that yet. And, you know, that it's clearly they're looking like they're going to go to the draft. So who are some of the tackles? First of all, how is this left tackle class in your mind? And sitting there at 19, what do you think they could get there? Yeah, so this is a really tough, uh, tough evaluation in terms of left tackles, right? I think there's one true dyed-in-the-wool left tackle. I think that's Panay Sewell. And I think even he, with all of his accolades and tremendous talent, like is a little bit of kind of an unknown in a sense because he's so young. He hasn't played football for a year, but the stuff that he has put on tape is pretty impressive. But I think he's going to be in a top – I think he's going to be gone top five, worst top ten, so – Kind of no play there for the Washington football team. I think you go to Rashawn Slater, who's kind of everybody's number two. He had that great performance out of Northwestern against Chase Young. I think he's more of a guard. I think, you know, he played well against top-tier talent. He's a premier athlete, but I think he's going to really excel at guard. So, again, that doesn't really answer your question. Kind of working down the list, there's a couple guys that you like, but you don't love. You know, I, I talked about uh, Dershaw with you yesterday. I think right. Dershaw is a guy who's got all the measurables, right? He's 6'6", he's 320, 315, 320. He moves well for a big man. little lazy, kind of wonder about his personality and whether he's uh, kind of wired or, or got the mentality you want for that premier left tackle. But the tools are there, which kind of makes you think, well, you know, maybe that's the guy. And I do think there's a possibility he'll be there at 19. But I just had a conversation today with one of my buddies in the NFL, and he has him, Der, um, Derrishaw, as number one, the number one tackle for really? them uh, above Sewell, above Slater. So I think it just shows you kind of the Why is that? I, I think a little bit of it is because he's kind of a known commodity, right? I think um, with Panay Sewell, for example, he's got all of these great you know, physical characteristics, but again, hasn't played football for a year, extremely young. What kind of mentality and mindset does he have? Because I've spoken to other guys and they say, oh, he's surefire should be top three pick. You know what I mean? So I think it's really interesting that he gets bumped. And I think a little bit of it is personality, right? Just as an, as an example, you're talking about offensive linemen. I really, really love Liam Etchenberg out of Notre Dame. Notre think, Dame, yeah. I think he's outstanding. I think he's kind of one of those guys, like maybe not a premier athlete, but technically a guy that makes you feel very, very, very confident, like good, calm feet, nice, tight punch, very good timing and all things that he does. But I've, I've heard from people that he's got kind of a, an unusual personality. So I think it's just a little bit of these evaluations where you're getting them from NFL per player personnel people right. is how they think they'll fit within that group. You know what I mean? I think that's yeah. something that really needs to be taken into consideration. That's something that you and I will never get, right? Because right, absolutely. We only we only have the film. So, right. um, but yeah, just based on what I see on tape, I think Derrishaw is a really high quality player. And I think he'd be there at 19 based on got things that I've read and people that I've talked to. Another one that kind of makes you a little nervous is um, Leatherwood out of Alabama yeah. because he is got all, it kind of checks all the boxes, 
rough senior bowl and that inconsistency that you got um, in the senior bowl shows up a little bit on tape. So you're saying, is this the guy you want to be kind of anchoring the offensive line for the next 10 years for you? And can he do it? He shows flashes that he can, but that consistency factor comes up all the time for him. So, yeah. And then, uh, you know, Sam uh, Cosby out of Texas. Is another guy. Everyone seems to be talking about. I watched him. I didn't love him. I, I think he's a great athlete. He's got great feet, but he's got some deficiencies as a pass protector. So I think even just those kind of lists of names that I just went over right there shows the issue with the class. There's kind of one guy that everyone kind of feels in Panay Sewell is really good. And then everybody else has their warts. Are they very talented? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that I get from this is that you could get a quality starter in, in by this draft standards, probably in the second or third round. And then you can even go even further and then find one of these diamond in the rough type guys like Spencer Brown out of the university of um, Illinois, Iowa, I want to say, and he's six, nine, 35 inch arms, great uh, former basketball player. However, you know, he's probably a year or two away. So is that your answer long-term or you, you feel comfortable with Lucas for a year? You know what I mean? Right. So I think it's, it's, it's a fun class to talk about because there isn't like this, these top five pinnacle guys, you know, there's a little bit more of a, um, a little bit more variety than you'd see in, in years past. And with Darisaw, because he's a guy that I think, you know, again, he might be there. That might be the guy that you're able to get if they want to go first round. And it's funny because when I watched him and I, and you had a breakdown on him on Instagram. So I watched some of them and I saw your breakdown and there were times where in pass protection, I thought like, you know, sometimes the feet weren't matching up with the arms, with the way, you know, he's a little bit bent. And, you know, sometimes and you had the Instagram where he's opening up his hips a little bit. Yeah. Um, what did you see in pass pro from him? Yeah, so I think that's the thing with him that makes you a little nervous is Virginia Tech is a run first team. You know, they have a running quarterback. They run inside, outside zone, tight zone, quarterback runs, jet sweeps. They're very, very kind of run centric as an offense. And when they do do protections, it's a lot of seven man slides. You don't really put those tackles on an island very much. So my question is, how much experience does he actually have with like traditional pass protection fundamentals? And based on the film, I would I would say not a ton. And I think also the other thing uh, that makes you a little nervous is he has this trend, like this tremendous athleticism in the run game. And does it translate? Because I've known guys who are great in the run game, but not not so much as a pass protector. Because it's a different type of of martial art. You know, you got to kind of get your feet, your hands, everything's got to kind of be working together. You have to be very reactive. You know, the guy Sam Crosby out of Texas is very reactive, very great with his feet. But again, there's a disconnect between his hands. And I think Darishaw, for example, hasn't quite folded all that athleticism into the correct technique, which to me makes me a little nervous. And that's one reason I, I like the kid from Notre Dame a little bit better. But people, you know, like they don't like him as much because he doesn't have the upside. Darishaw's got tremendous upside. I think he's, he can be your future left tackle, you know, and I think he will be around probably unless someone makes takes a flyer on him before 19. But that's the question is, do you think those things are correctable? And my gut says, yes, if he's kind of got the right mentality, again, that interview process is so important, right mentality, right kind of focus, right motivations, he'll correct it. But we won't know that until we get the, we have the kind of, you know, the whispers from the building saying he's not doing things the right way or he's doing things the right way. So, well, and the other thing too, with him, um, the, the run, the run game, the, his, what, what did you think of him? And let me get back to the, the pass sets too. I was going to, I actually want to make this point because you brought it up. 
it's not pass protection is not just athleticism. There is a science to it as well. And I remember seeing something, an interview with Joe Thomas, where he talked about the process of how he would go, his game planning against guys and how he'd have to change where he's putting his hands and all that, that plays into it a ton. So it's not just like, Hey, he's athletic. He should be good. There's a lot more to it than that. And then, but you know, so you can speak to that, but also to his run blocking as well. Yeah. So as a pass protector, I think that's a thousand percent, right. To me, it's like a, it's like watching a good boxer, right. You know, they do things, they set up, they, they throw a jab, you know, an offensive lineman might show hands early and then bring him back late to get the guy to throw his move. There's all this little nuance that they get through film study. They get through experience, they get through time on task and practice. And the best ones are really good having a variety of solutions for a variety of different rushers. Like it's not a cookie cutter solution. They develop their own pass protection plan each week. And that takes a ton of nuance and a ton of practice. And that's challenging for a young guy to do. Thank God he's got Morgan Moses in the building. If he were to come to the Washington football team, a guy who's been around Callahan, one of the best offensive line coaches, technically probably in the last 30 or 40 years. And I'm not exaggerating there. Um, and so having that kind of wealth of knowledge in the building from a, from Morgan Moses, I think would be huge for a guy like this. But again, it's, it's, is he willing to learn? Is he willing to prepare? And you've talked about the run game with him. And I think with him, the run game is something that jumps off the tape. And that's the thing that makes you really excited. Like the, the teams that have him evaluated really highly, in my opinion, are teams that run outside zone stuff because of that athleticism. Like, I'm not saying he's the same athlete as Trent Williams, but in the run game, he flashes some of that ability to kind of, run off the football, get his hat to the outside number, attack the second level and arrive violently for a big man. So I think that's the stuff that you're like, wow, that's first round, you know, kind of generational talent type stuff. Can you live with the pass protection? Can you correct it? That's the big question with him. Let's move on to tight ends, a position you're familiar with. How do you, you know, obviously everybody knows that Kyle Pitts is the best guy. He's one of the best players in this draft, period. And I saw that you had said he's the best tight end you've evaluated. We'll get no. to the other ones in a second. Why is that? I, like So usually when you turn on the tape and people have been talking about a guy for months, right? Like uh, just they talk about him and talk about you watch him. You say, yeah, he's okay. Like how does that translate to the NFL? Like is he fast enough? Is he twitchy enough? Is he physical enough in the run game? Like a guy that comes to mind is Gusecki from uh, who's in Miami now. Like when you turn on his tape, you were, there was all these questions. Everyone was hyping, oh, he runs a 4-3, he's 6-6, he's all these things. You turn on the tape, he can't compete in the run game. He's not physical on his releases. He doesn't have the technical acumen to get things done. So you're kind of talking yourself into his athletic potential. And that's honestly what I thought I was going to see with, with Kyle Pitts. But then when you turn on the tape, you see a guy who's extremely polished as a route runner who can beat number one corners like – him against Alabama and Patrick Sertan is so fun to watch. He's beating him on slants. And this man is 6'6", 240 pounds. Like for him to be able to step outside of his frame, have the patience and the rhythm and the timing to run these routes at such a high level, and then the dexterity to kind of use that long frame and have a huge catch radius. Because that's another thing you see is guys who are tall and big have a hard time kind of controlling their body. Usually it's like spur, it's it's inversely correlated. The taller you get, the less athletic you are. And it doesn't seem to be that way with him. And then you kind of say, well, maybe he's soft in the run game or he lacks the physicality. And then you turn on the tape and he's, because of how twitchy and athletic he is, he's able to drive defensive linemen off the football, which is just, I have never seen anything like it. And I hope that he lives up to the potential that he has because man, there is so much he can do. And it would just be so great for the game of football and the position. So. 
So after him, because again, that's another position that Washington wants to add a guy. Yeah. They want a blocker, um, and then they all, but they want somebody who can be can complement Logan Thomas because you want to have. You can get in that 12 personnel and create mismatches all day if you have the right guys there. So who are some guys after that that you like at the position? So there's nobody – because I think it's about fit, right? And in terms of fit, there's very few guys. When I turned on the tape, I thought this guy compliments and fits uh, – compliments Logan Thomas and fits what the Washington football team wants to do. Obviously, there's Pat uh, from Vermouth or from – Fryermouth. Fryermouth. Fryermouth, thank you, Yeah. From Penn State, who's a good player. He reminds me a little bit of Goddard from uh, Philadelphia. Kind of okay. good technical route runner, solid in the run game. You know, does he does he wow you? Does he light your hair on fire? No, but it's hard to kind of after seeing Kyle Pitts, you're like, you know, this. It's just like a normal human being. Um, but he's he's solid. I don't know. He to me, he's a why, and I think Logan Thomas in, in an ideal situation is probably like a pass catching why. You know, he's a bigger body. He's not super like light, fleet of foot, linear speed, very similar to him. Hunter Long out of Boston College, kind of the same thing, like a poor man's Kyle Rudolph, you know, like very similar to Logan Thomas. So you got to go down the list and, and there's nobody really that jumps out at you except for a couple project guys. That you say, maybe this guy can be a really dynamic F tight end or a move tight end to, to fit and complement that 12 personnel with Logan Thomas. And one of those guys is Jacob Harris out of um, UCF. He's a receiver right now mm -hmm. that is 6'5", about 220. But he's got the big, big frame, right? The Chase Claypool frame. And um, you say to yourself, that guy, because of the physicality that he plays the game with, can maybe transition to playing tight end at the next level. And then I think you brought this up to me yesterday, and I've tracked it down and talked to a couple people in the NFL about it, is Zach Davidson, right? that, that small school kid. And he came, and he's 6'7", and he ran like a 4'6". Yep. And so you say, oh, he's got some good length. He's got some good height. He's got some good speed. He can attack the seam. You watch him. He's got a nice dexterity with the ball in the air, tracks the ball really well. And you say, maybe those two guys fit, and you're not going to have to pay a premium. Because I think Vermouth or Vermouth, however you say his name, is going to go probably in the second round, maybe into the second, early third. Hunter Long, kind of that same space. I think they're both – they're not elite guys, but they're good. They're going to be good starters at some point. And I don't, but I don't know if, if, Wash, if the Washington football team wants to use that kind of draft capital on a guy that doesn't fit what they want to do. Right, and it's funny that you bring up um, the UCF kid because I know in conversations here they are well aware of how some other teams have gotten tight ends – who, you know, and they have one themselves because Logan Thomas was yeah. a quarterback. So a guy who was a receiver, you know, for example, like I think I could see them going to them and say, okay, we 6'5", 220, put on, put on 5'10 pounds or 10 pounds at that, at that height, and you're probably good to go. So, right. you know, I think that I could see them doing it. You also, I think you had brought up Brevin Jordan to me the other day when we yes. were just the kid from Yes, I did, I did bring up Brevin Jordan. I think he, he moves – well, right. So he's one of those guys. He reminds me of the kid from UW last year. He's kind of an F, a true F, got good feet. I'm a little disappointed with his pro day 40. He ran like a 4.69, 31-inch uh, vertical jump, kind of a mediocre broad because you'd like that guy who's characterized his whole game around being explosive and fast to have those numbers sure. kind of bump up. And obviously you got to rely on the tape, but when you go back and look at the tape after kind of realizing those numbers you kind of say to yourself well how fast is he how explosive is he it was the same conundrum when I was watching Kyle Pitts I'm like yeah he's really good but how fast is he really and will that same kind of skill set translate to the next level because ultimately it's about speed and explosiveness right to win in those short area routes 
And Kyle Pitts answered those questions in spades. And this Miami kid, not so much, right? So it kind of puts a big question mark and you say, can he be can he be that true F? Can he be that Jordan Reed? Can he be that Gerald Everett? Can he be, you know, Aaron Hernandez like when he was playing? Like, does he have that same kind of movement skill? Because he does not have a big body, he's not gonna help you in line as much. And the answer right now is I I, I was at first I was very in the in the affirmative in that category, and now I'm kind of backing off because mm-hmm. I need to watch more to know for sure if those numbers are kind of a mistake or if that's who he really is. And how, you know, how hard is it if they want it? Cause I know one of the options would also be, you can move a guy to tight end one yeah. of your receivers. And like, they do have an offense. And this was how it was explained to me that in this offense, the pass, the pass system is a numbered system. So if you're running, you know, a certain route from this area, you can run it as a receiver or you can run sure. it as a tight end. How yeah. much easier does that make a transition? I mean, honestly, that's how it is in most offenses. You know, I mean, like this is a numbered offense and, you know, like the concepts are all characterized by numbers like you just alluded to. But in Kyle Shanahan's offense, it's verbiage, right? And they tag certain guys, but the concepts are the same. So um, I think it's probably in some ways helpful. But um, I think the the big thing is they've got a couple of guys that I think would be interesting here. I think Golden, because of his frame, he's kind of this thick, broad-shouldered guy. And they did use him a lot as like a chipping kind of, uh, you know, sifting kind of guy last year. And that's the first step, right? That's the first step is finding a big body receiver and then kind of putting them in those tight endish situations and seeing how they handle it. I thought he did an okay job. And so his skill set at receiver right now in the NFL is okay, but I think he would be an elite tight end if he's willing to make the transition. Another guy that came up was the Harmon kid. I've never seen him play, but I've heard from uh, Brian Mitchell, for example, that he is kind of ultra uber tough guy, ultra right. uber competitive, um, kind of like Niles Paul was. And if yep. those two guys are kind of built that way um, and have the right mindset, I think either one of them could make the transition to. Tight. And I think, and I think, if 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 I had to say today, I would say it would be Harmon who would do that. Right. But I think we have to see what they do at receiver because you know he's also coming off the ACL, and we you know see if they add somebody there. So it's you know we'll see, but. Last one on the tight ends. How important is it to have those two pass catching tight ends in the modern in modern offense? We're only talking about in this in the yeah. way this offensive stuff is going. How important is that? Yeah. So I mean, like in the last. So I was a traditional blocking Y. So when I first got in the NFL, like that was kind of the most important part of the position is being able to block. We were just kind of introducing like the Jeremy Shockeys, the Chris Cooleys, these guys who could do both at a high level. And those were game changers, right? So if you had one, you were doing really well. And then near the tail end of my career, if I came into the game in 21 personnel, so with a tight end and a fullback, the other team would actually match with goal line personnel because they knew it was such a heavy run mm-hmm. tell. So now if you've got a guy like, like Logan Thomas, who's okay in the run guy, uh, run game and exceptional in the pass game, they can't do that. It keeps them out of that stuff. It gives you more offensive flexibility. It gives you more favorable matchups. It allows you to run the football more effectively because you're not getting like this box and this front that's designed to stop the run. And if you have two of those guys, especially if one of those guys is a borderline wide receiver, how do you match them from a personnel standpoint? Do you match them in nickel? Do you match them in dime? Especially if that dude is a little bit of a dog in the run game, you can get after a nickel body type, you know, your nickel will, your nickel Sam corner. Um, I think that makes uh, a pretty dangerous thing. That's what Kyle Shanahan's kind of majored in, is finding these tweener guys like Kyle Juszczyk who can play tight end, can play fullback, can beat a linebacker in the slot, 
it just gives you so much flexibility on third down and from a personnel standpoint, it adds just this tremendous wrinkle to the game plan. Um, linebacker, last position, couple minutes here. Like, what, what do you, what jumps out at you there? Because again, they need to find another linebacker, preferably somebody who's got speed. I think everybody wants speed on defense, anyways. Right. So, what's what's your take there? So, I, I think you know, after kind of looking at um, the free agents of this last year, you know, and uh, who were the priority free agents at linebacker, it became abundantly clear to me that the number one thing is their ability to cover. And yes, it's important to stop the run. Yes, to have that skill set, that's it's still a, a mainstay of the position, but it's no longer stop the run first, defend the pass second. Now it's defend the pass to the run, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you look at a guy like Levante David, he's exceptional at that. Yep. Good, good hips, moves really well, covers, and when it, when he's called upon, can make a tackle. So if you look at this top five guys, Micah Parson, Jeremiah okay, Zayvon Collins, uh, uh, Jim and Davis and Nick Bolton, just kind of as a general top five. Michael Parsons, I get worried about him in coverage, right? He's a yeah. ballistic heat sinking missile coming downhill. He makes a ton of plays in the run game, but they don't ask him to cover. So can he do that? And to me, that really diminishes his value. Like despite all of the measurables that he's got, you say, what can he do there, right? You go to number two on my list, which would be Jeremiah, um, what's his name? Owusu. Owusu Koromoa. Koromoa, yes, thank you. He is a he plays like the field player in their defense, you know. In college right. football, the hash is really wide, a lot of space to deal with. He covers slot receivers, he covers backs, he plays in the box, he plays on the line of scrimmage, and he kind of has this like sharpness to his game, like this, like he moves with like this deliberate focus that you really like, and you love the fact that he can cover receivers. And I think that gives you a ton of flexibility having a guy in a defense like the one the Washington football team runs that you feel comfortable matching up on tight ends, matching up on receivers, matching up on these shifty backs that everybody's got. And so to me, I like that pick a lot. But then you pointed out to me the guy, uh, Jamin Davis, out of Kentucky. And he, to me, is like Levante David reincarnated. Really? Like he's long, he defeats blocks well, he runs well. And you kind of say, I see why people are starting to get super hyped about this guy. Plays with good length. Not a killer in the run game, but good. And runs well and seems to understand past concepts nicely, which is a big kind of tenant. It's a big deal, especially if yes. you're going to play zone too. Yes. Right. Like he understands, like there's a couple of cool clips of him. Like, like he's, he's playing with eyes to the quarterback. He feels the receiver go past him. And then instead of feathering, continuing to feather, he understands it's an in cut just based on the stem and stays there and is able to close the window, which is great to see. Right. Um, I don't know how he is in man coverage. They just didn't ask him to do it. Unlike, Jeremiah, who did a ton of that kind of matching stuff. And so you kind of feel a little bit better about him having done that in college. But I think, yeah, those two guys are really, really good players, like get you really excited. And I think you're going to get good value for them. I think they'll both be there at 19. I don't think Jeremiah is going to be there when they pick in the second round. Jamin might be there, but he's been getting a lot of buzz. I don't think he'll make it out of the first round or the top of the second. The other guy Jeremiah is, I'm sorry, Dr. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Jeremiah is, he is, I mean, some people think he might be a safety. Yeah, so I think that's the thing about him that's kind of fun is he can play in the box and he can play safety. To me, I think he in, – in today's NFL, we just talked about like kind of the prevalence, yeah. you know, they're 60% of the time on first and second down, they're throwing the football, right? And having a guy who has that coverage ability, I think adding 
at linebacker is huge, right? Because that's where they're getting beat. That's the weak spot of the defense. Everyone's investing all this money, safety, corner, pass rush. And now you have to deal with the play action pass more than ever in the NFL. So having guys with athleticism and route recognition to, to, to defeat those concepts gives you a tremendous advantage. And if you look at the division, I think there's a really good chance that Kyle Pitts ends up in New York or with the, or in Dallas. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy to think. And so how are you going to match up with that weapon if, if they, if they do make that pick. Right. Um, so the other guy that I think is really exciting, I don't know if he's a great fit for Washington is Zayvon Collins. I think he's a awesome. big guy. Yeah. He's a huge guy. He's six, four two sixty or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Runs well, great hips can play on the ball, can play off the ball, kind of shows up in the run game the same way Micah Parsons does kind of, good downhill, defeats blocks nicely. He gives you kind of this other element as like a third down pass rusher. He's a great blitzer. Him and Jeremiah are like one, two in terms of blitzers, really, really good blitzers. And um, the thing is, I don't, you talk about coverage and I don't know if he's, he's got good hips. He seems to play zones well. He seems to understand concepts well, but again, not a ton of man-to-man responsibilities, but a big physical athlete at the position that gives you some flexibility. Like I think he would excel in a system like, Miami or like New England where they know how to use those guys in different like different rust packages and stuff like that but um yeah I think he's he's a guy that gets you really excited and I've, I've heard some people kick around Nick Bolton as a guy and to me he's a guy that um I think he plays the game with tremendous passion and tremendous physicality but kind of the he's a he's a generation too late if that makes sense he's a he's a run and hit kind of traditional in the box linebacker and you know, what, how does he cover? How does he match concepts? And it, that doesn't show up in a demonstrative way. I think he'll find a nice home, you know, with some team right. in the NFL. But um, I think those, those top four guys are, are kind of the ones I would be trying to eyeball if I'm really trying to upgrade at the position. You know, there are other guys, like there's some really, like the kid out of Purdue, very, very talented run and hit guy, but, and you can get those guys later. But if you're looking for like an elite coverage, kind of game changing, multi flexibility kind of, positional guy those are the guys i would be keeping an eye on and it's funny because some of those guys i think you could probably trade back and still get in the first round in the first round so i do think that's an option for them very last thing here is there a quarterback i don't know how much and i didn't ask you about this but is there a quarterback that you like like beyond that first group yeah so to me uh you know those 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 first two guys lawrence and uh what's the guy's name max from byu oh zach Uh, wilson Zach Wilson, thank you. Those guys are, in some ways, I think Zach Wilson's better than Lawrence. Like, he just sees the field better. Those guys are are the top. And then after that, in my opinion, it gets a little dicey, kind of like the tackle class a little bit. You know what I mean? There's guys, they've all got their problems. Like, everyone's talking about uh, fields right now, and I think there's a really good chance because of him playing in that Ohio State offense that he slips to 19, you know, that he gets all the way down there, or the kid from North Dakota State. Like, those two guys are really interesting to me because I think you can either take one really high – and, or you can take them really low, like into the first, and still be justified. And so to me, those two guys I like quite a bit because of the mobility aspect, and I think that's just the way the position's going. I think you have to be able to look at Russell Wilson, look at Patrick Mahomes, look at Kyler Murray, look at Lamar Jackson, look at uh, Allen up in Buffalo, look at um, Green Bay quarterback. You Aaron Rodgers has always been mobile, yeah. Yes, and like the, the added – element of danger that it gives to you i think is huge i will say the thing about fields that kind of makes you nervous he does take a ton of sacks he's got the highest sack percentage of any guy in the draft this year 
and with an offensive line that's kind of in rebuild a little bit, no left tackle. I don't know how good of a fit he is for you. And then with the kid from North Dakota State, he has to sit for a year, in my opinion. But I don't know if that answers your question, but those are the guys that I think would be interesting at 19, and I think there is a good chance that they get there. Because I think the I think they might fall. Obviously, someone might take a take a flyer on them and get out of there. But um, yeah, those are the two guys that I think would be interesting fits for the Washington Football Team. So, and anybody beyond that round? Oh, um, I haven't. I honestly haven't looked at anybody That's else. Fine. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. And, you know, um, so that, listen, Logan, this is fantastic insight. And I, I like I, I've always told you, I always appreciate you coming on. So I hope people learned quite a bit because you, you dropped a lot of knowledge. So thank you very much. for coming on. Hey, this is Joel Corey from Inside the Cap. I know you're enjoying the John Conn report, which gives you insider access to the Washington football team. Everything you want you want to know which is going on with the Washington football team once you're done with that check out my podcast inside the cap which gives you the ins and outs of the NFL salary cap and player contract negotiations check out these two products and other fine podcasts from Empire Media that's it for this episode I appreciate Logan joining me and I appreciate you listening as always don't forget to listen to Brian Mitchell's draft day memories and how different it was in 1990 when he was drafted. Did tough guy Brian Mitchell shed some tears? Listen and find out. Talk to you next time.